division. No one wants division. What is division? In fact, last week I talked about unity and the importance of unity. And could you imagine if people who follow Jesus just got together and was unified with the same cause and the same vision? But division is real. What is division? Division is where there's two visions, right? There's two different visions. That's why there's division and division divides. Now, it doesn't take a, you know, a rocket scientist to look around in our world and know that we live in a divided world. Obviously, here in America, we live in a divided, divided country, and it's steeply, steeply divided. And the reason why is because there's two visions. Actually, there's multiple visions, but where there's two visions, there will be division and, and divide in your, in your life or your family. doesn't matter. For instance, if you're married and one of your spouse has a different vision on how to carry out something, you know this, there will be division. And when there's division, it begins to divide you. Maybe for you, it's at your workplace. You have a vision, your boss, your leader, your manager has a vision and you see it differently. And because there is two different visions, there's division and it divides the people around you. We can see this in our country, right? We have division. We have, you know, we talked about this last week. If you love politics, we talked about that last week. Republicans have Bible verses, right? And, and, and ways they want to carry out how they lead the country. Democrats have the same Bible verses, right? And their ways how to lead out and, and, and bring the country together. And both of them have a separate vision. And because of that, there's division. Now, one of them, Republican or Democrat, will win in November, right? And when that happens, the new leader will have a new vision to carry it out, or the same leader will have a vision to carry out. And still, half the people don't agree with the vision, so there will continue to be division in our life. You don't have to be, you know, uh, naive not to see around the division that's all around us. So my question is, how do you fix it? How do you fix a world full of division? How do you fix families full of divisions? How do you fix workplaces or churches or, or the world full of division? And realistically, as we talk about our country now, how do we fix the division? So maybe for some of you, here's an idea. Maybe we start a new, um, we start a new, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe we start a new political party, right? Somebody's like, somebody's like, yes, I'm for that, right? Some of you have already tried that. Somebody's like, is there another political party? There's only one, right? And Jesus would have been that one, and you've picked it, what he would be, right? Maybe start a new political party. Maybe that for you, that would fix it. Maybe we should start protesting. Maybe if we protest, that will get, you know, that will fix the division, right? Protesting will fix it. Maybe rioting. Maybe we should take a kneel and not kneel at the anthem and kneel at a flag because maybe that's, that's the answer to fixing the division or the problem that we see in our world. Maybe we elect a new leader. Maybe if we had new leaders and new officials, maybe they will bring a new vision and that vision will unite and bring people together. Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe if you are a politician or, or a rule maker, maybe if we wrote new laws, if we have new laws and we just have these unbelievable, like new things and new ways to do it, these new laws, then the new laws would fix the division that's running rampant in our society. Maybe for you, and maybe this is it. I, I think I know. Maybe for you, you think the way to fix the division in the world or the division in our country is for you to share your thoughts on Facebook and social media, right? Because you have the answers. You have all the, you've already have a cure for the virus. You've already figured it out. You already know who's wrong and who's right and how you should do it better, right? Why? Because you have a vision. 
And your vision is different than somebody else's vision. And probably you don't know this, but the more you write and post about it, you're bringing more division than unity. Folks, we live in a divided world. We live in a place full of division because everyone has a vision for their own life. Everyone has a vision for somebody else's life. And everyone has a vision, obviously, for our country. Now, how do you fix this? How, 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 do you, how do you make this right? Now, all the things I listed will get people's attention. Protesting will get people's attention, right? It will get people's attention. A new leader gets people's attention. New laws gets your attention. New things, it will get your attention. But here's the problem. It won't get your heart. All these things I mentioned, you can write laws. You can stand up. You can write all you want on social media post all your thoughts and why you believe the world's wrong and your way is right and it's your way, the highway, and you've got all the answers to fix all the problems, you can do that. The problem with that, it won't change someone's heart. And this is the issue. This is where we got to get to. How do we change people's heart? How do we fix that? And so what I like to suggest to you today is what I have seen is the clash of two kingdoms. Or the clash of kingdoms. I know I'm not talking about the, the game that you used to play back in the day. I'm talking about the clash of kingdoms. There's the kingdom of man, and then there's the kingdom of God. Let's personalize it. There's your kingdom, your way, your vision, how you see the world operate, your way. And I talked about that last week. How does people form their own political views, their values? I talked about that. You should go back and check that out. Clashing with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. There's a clash of these two, and there's multiple kingdoms, but these two kingdoms. And I personally believe, I personally believe that if we can understand and grasp what it means to to see the kingdom of God or what is the kingdom of God, I believe that we will see a move of God like never before. That we will see God move because we understand what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is. But here's the question. What is the kingdom of God? And how is it clashing with the kingdom of men? Now, there's so many interpretations to this. Everybody, you know, I don't know how. I asked my wife this today. I said, honey, how was you taught about the kingdom of God? Like, what did you hear in church? Or what did your Sunday school teacher say? Or what did your pastor at the time? What did they talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? And everyone has their mindset. Everyone has been taught a certain way. Everyone says, I don't really know. Is Is it a place that you go when you die? That's one interpretation. The kingdom of God is just a place that once you die, that's where you go. You go to the kingdom of God. Some people interpret that the kingdom of God is a one-time event. It's going to happen after rapture and the trumpet's going to sound and the body's going to break forth and we'll be caught up with him in the air. And at that very moment, the kingdom of God has come and they see it more as an event. Some people more eschatological about it. They believe it's talk about the end times and all this stuff and the mark of the beast and someday that Bill Gates is going to, you know, come out with some data or some little gadget it's going to insert into your elbow. And every time you walk by and go in the store, they're going to know where you are because that's the mark of the beast, right? And that's when the kingdom of God shows up or comes. You see, everyone has their opinions and everyone has their interpretation of what does it mean to see the kingdom of God or what actually is the kingdom of God. However, the Bible does in some regards and the evangelists who wrote in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and they, they see that there, there's more in John that there is this future future kingdom of God reigning and rule. And we see that. But when Jesus taught it, it was present. It was here. It was now. It was in your life. It wasn't a place that you go to. 
It wasn't an event that's happened in the end times, but it was around you and amongst you and in you. And when you go to a Christian bookstore, which I don't know how many of them are still, <laughs> still around because uh, Amazon is dominating and taking over the world, where you can have it in two days or digitally just like that. But if you go do a lot of research on end time books, man, so many books, so many books. You go find books on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, very few, very scarce. And Jesus dedicated most, if you look at this, teaching to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven. We have parables among parables about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is like this and compare and contrast and compare and contrast like this. What did Jesus mean when he talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? And it's very important for us to understand that because I'm seeing that this is the problem with the vision is the class of kingdoms. Last week, we talked about the importance of unity, the reason why is the division, why is the division? Well, that's what we're looking at today. It's because these clash of kingdoms of your kingdom and God's kingdom, man's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven, culture and kingdom colliding. And we wonder why we live in a divided world. We wonder why even when we look around, even when we look around that you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian because they don't want the vision, right? They don't, they, they, they want the culture. They want a kingdom, but there's something that they're lacking that I want to share with you as we walk through this. So when Jesus taught this, what did Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God? Because that quotation, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, is not found in our Old Testament scriptures. Now there is a reigning, there's a ruling, there's a king and it talks about a, a kingdom, but the, the term kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, like where did that come from and, and why is it on the scene now when Jesus is talking about it? So what did Jesus mean when he said that? And the other question is, how would you have heard it if you were there in the first century? So if you were a Jew living among that and Jesus walked around, said the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, or when John the Baptist says, repent because the kingdom of God is here, it's coming this way, like, where is it? Like, can you point it out? Can you show me? Is it an event? Is it, is it a moment? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a thing? Is it tangible? What is the kingdom of God? So with that kind of Bible study mindset, what did Jesus mean? And how would you have heard it in the first century? Let me point out a few things to you. What, maybe if you were there at that time, and none of us were, obviously, let's just make sure we're on the same page here. This is 2,000 years ago. There have been a lot of things that have survived antiquity, tradition, oral traditions, and things that have come up. To us, to glance at that culture for a moment, and you're standing there as a little kid, a little boy, or a fisherman, or a mom, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near, you would have instantly known what he was talking about. But today, it's up to our imaginations. It's up to our own interpretations. What did he mean? So let's go back and let's see what would have been meant when Jesus said that. Well, here's, here's something that I, I want to make sure we point out it's on the same page as well. One thing is that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable terms. They actually mean the same thing. So when you're reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're reading through and you see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it literally means the same thing. Like some of you say, oh, my God. Some of you say, oh, my heavens. It's the same thing. They're interchangeable language. So to the Jew, 
kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven are not separate places, not, not different entities. They are the same things. They're interchangeable. And to them, they would have thought that God reigns where his will is being obeyed and where his will is being obeyed, there will be shalom, there'll be peace. So the kingdom of heaven is where anyone is obeying the will of God that brings peace is God's reign rule. God has come to that moment. God's kingdom has come to that moment. That's so foreign to us because when we think of a kingdom, we think of land, we think of a place, we think of a destination, we think of a group that's ruled by a certain individual, a king or a queen. But to them, they would have thought, hey, you know where, where God's will is being done? There you will find peace. There you will find the kingdom of God in your midst. There you will see what God's activity is up to doing. So whenever a person or people living in obedience and commitment to God, you will find the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't miss this. Where you find people living in obedience and commitment to God You will sense, you will see, you will feel the kingdom of heaven that's near. How does that challenge maybe how you or us were taught about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? You also need to note that a Jewish mindset would not have thought of an afterlife at this moment. When they've heard of kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, they wouldn't think about a destination or a place that they're going. Yes, the kingdom of God someday will be in heaven, I'll get to that just in a moment. But they wouldn't, they're not thinking about eternal life. They're not thinking about life after death at that moment. Why? Because Jesus is going to take us. He's going, you know, the Messiah, when they come, we're part of Abraham's bosom. We came out that we've already going to go to that place. But what about now? As the rich young ruler comes and says, how do I have shalom, peace with God now? And then Jesus makes the statement when he walks away because he was very wealthy that rich people have a hard time entering the kingdom of God. Does that mean that wealthy people can't go to heaven? Is that what he means? No. That's not the understanding. What he's saying is he would rather have this in his life ruling him than to be obedient and commit to the will of God. Therefore, where the will of God is, he will have eternal life. And to them, that was was peace with God. So when you understand that and you read the context of the Gospels, you will see here, it's not a destination, a place that you go to someday. There will be a heaven, a new heaven. The Bible does talks about that. But how to come Jesus talks about it being present today with you, not a destination, with you, in you, and amongst you. Here's another observation. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven was something, watch this, that was planted in you. It was actually placed within you. In Luke 17... Some of the Pharisees started in verse 20. Look what it says. Now, when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom of God come? When will it come? When will it get here? Show us how it's going to be ushered in. When's that moment, that event, that time the Messiah is going to come and the kingdom is going to be set up here, overthrow Rome and all this stuff. When is it coming? The kingdom of God does not come with observations. You will not be able to say, there it is. Here it comes. Over there, it's not an event, it's not a place. Look what he says. For indeed, the kingdom of God is amongst you, or watch this, within you. Oh, I thought it was a place. I thought it was an event. I thought it was someday down the road. What do you mean the kingdom of God is present within me? How did the kingdom of God get in me? How did the kingdom of heaven get in me? How was it planted in me? Here, the moment 
you believed. The moment you surrender to the cross and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and you submit to him to be the Lord and the king of your life, the kingdom of God's seed was planted in you. It became amongst you and in you and inside of you, and it is something that's going to grow, that's going to break forth, that's going to continue to mature in your life. At that very moment, the kingdom of God was placed in you, in me, which means everywhere I go, every step I take, every place I visit, I take with me the kingdom of heaven in Walmart, Lowe's, Cracker Barrel, home, to my family, on the court, in the locker room, to the polls, what I say on faith, everywhere I go, the kingdom of heaven has been planted in me as a follower of Jesus because I bowed my knee and submitted to him as Lord and King of my life. It is something that has been planted in you, and watch this, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's a free gift, and it's called grace. And the moment you believed, the moment that seed, the kingdom, was planted in you, its power, its reign, its rule came over you and in your life. They also would have known that the kingdom of heaven and God is unstoppable based on the parables that Jesus taught. Don't have time to go on all of them, but just make a couple observations. Matthew 13, 31 says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven or God is interchangeable. It's like a mustard seed. Okay, what in the world is like a mustard seed? Which a man planted in his field, and though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest in the garden and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch on its branches. The Jews knew that the mustard seed, the mustard, grows rapidly and unstoppable, and there's no way you can stop it once it has been planted. That's why Jesus compares it to a mustard seed. That once it's in there, it's going to go, and nothing's going to stop. The only way to stop it is not have it planted. But if it's been planted, if it's been put in you, it will grow and it will be impactful and it's going to make a difference around you and the people according to the, your circle of influence that God has brought into your life. See, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Once it's planted, it's going to grow and it's going to be the largest and nothing is going to stop it. He goes on and says in verse 33, in the same way, told another parable, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked it all through the dough. What's that mean? The moment she put the yeast in the flour, it begins to rise. It begins to expand. The kingdom of God is the same way. Once it is planted, once it is it's inserted, it is unstoppable. The devil can't stop it. The government can't stop it. A new world order can't stop it. A one world order can't stop it. A one world world currency can't stop it. It doesn't matter. China ain't going to stop it. A virus ain't going to stop it. Rush. Nobody can stop the kingdom of God once it has been planted. It will grow. Nothing will stop it because God's church is unstoppable. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. And that's what Jesus is wanting them to see, that once heaven has been planted, nothing's going to stop it. And it will get to you. And it will come to you because it's going to expand, 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 just like that little bit of yeast, just like that tiny mustard seed that took over your garden. 
It's going to happen, and you can't stop it. No man can stop it. No demonic force will ever, ever stop it. And that's what's in me. That's been planted in me. According to Jesus, it has. According to the text, it has. Well, well then what's the problem? How do I fix it? How do, how do I play a part in the solution? Here's the problem. Here's the problem with all this. Let me first, let me, let me step just for a moment, and let me speak to every single one of you who are a Christian. If you claim to follow Jesus, I want you to tune in right here. Tune in to me. If you're checking this Jesus thing out, or you, somebody invited you over to the watch party, and you're sitting there going, oh, snap. Yeah, I'm going to talk to the boys, to the girls, I'm going to talk to them. Because here's the problem with the division and the class of the kingdoms. Christian, here's what we're seeing. Christians want the kingdom. They just don't want a king. And that's the problem. That's the issue. You want the kingdom, but you don't want a king. You want to reign your life. You want to rule your life. You want to be the master of your life. You want to be the king of your life. You want to sit on your own throne. I will date who I want to date. I'll marry who I want to marry. I'll work where I want to work. I'll major in what I want to major in. I'll do what I want to do, and no one's going to stop me. I'll invest in what I invest in. I'll spend how I want to spend. I'll give where I want to give. I'll show up when I want to show up, and no one's going to tell me what to do. You want the kingdom and the perks. You just don't want the king. Thank you for heaven, but dare heaven come to earth and rule my life and rule my family and rule my wallet and rule my investments and rule my influence. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I want the kingdom, but I don't want a king. And that's the problem with believers. And that's the problem with Christians. And that's the problem, I can't speak for the world, but for the American church, that's why you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. We are a laughing stock of being hypocrites. Why? Because we are. Because we walk around, talk about a king, but we never submit to him. We talk about how he's changed us and saved us, but we won't let him rule and reign in our life. Because the moment the going gets tough, I'm going to sit back and get on my own throne and I'm going to rule my life the way I want to rule my life. And I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it because I'm the boss. That's the problem. And the reason the two kingdoms have clashes is because you have a vision and God has a vision for your life. You have your plans, but your king has his plans. And you won't submit your plans to the king you tell the king what your plans are and get him to bless it. That's the problem. So how do we fix it? What's the solution? I think Jesus picked up on this in one of the greatest talks and teachings and sermons, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is full of so many practical, hard truths. Talks about marriage, sexuality, how to handle your money, divorce, how you live, how you honor, how you forgive. Most people say a summer amount is so good until you start studying it. 
until you start reading it. And you're like, whew, man, I don't know if I can live like that. I don't know if I can do that. See, Jesus says in my kingdom, those who want to be first will be last. But those who humble themselves will be first. You see, in my kingdom, it's upside down. It's different how I reign and rule in your life how we should live around the people amongst us. We should look different. We should act different. We should be the gap that bridges, we should be the bridge that bridges the gaps between the far right and the far left. Because the kingdom of God will always create space between your kingdom. The kingdom of God will always have conflict with your kingdom. The kingdom of God will always have conflict with your political kingdom. Always, both sides. The kingdom of God has conflicts on both sides. There will always be conflict. So what do you do when your kingdom clashes? Your political kingdom versus the kingdom of God. Your own agenda versus God's agenda. What do you do when kingdom clashes? Matthew 6, Jesus, and this wonderful talking about anxiety and talking about the things we worry about, talking about how we seek all these things in our life and we're worried about how we're going to make it and who's going to take care of us. Why? Why do you worry? Because you worry about your kingdom. See, worry is when you try to take control. When you worry, that's a sign you're trying to be the king of your life. You're trying to be the boss of your life. You're trying to rule your life. That's why you worry instead of just trusting the king of your life. So Jesus knows all this. He knows that we're going to struggle with all this. And then he comes to Matthew 6, verse 33, in a very famous passage. And here's what he says. But seek First, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all the things that you worry about, all the things you're trying to fix in your kingdom. Now, watch this. I'll give those to you. I'm going to take care of you. I know what's best for you. So this leads me to this question. What does it mean to seek First, kingdom and righteousness. Now, the way that text is written, scholars or people who study the text will say that's a pluralism, their comparison, kingdom and righteousness. And we see how they do this all through the, the scriptures. So there's a wordplay here, kingdom and righteousness. Where does that come from? If you were a first century Jew and you heard Jesus say, seek first the kingdom, like, do you mean I need to seek an event, I seek a place. When Jesus says, you pray that your kingdom come, your will be done, am I praying for the rapture, for Jesus to come? Is that what it means for the kingdom to come? But Jesus, you said it's already here. You said it's around us. You've even said it's in me. So what do you mean when you say your kingdom come, your will be done? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom and righteousness, and then there's a promise, don't miss the promise, then everything you worry about, my kids, my life, the virus, my finances, my, my furlough, my job, my education, ah, wait, wait, all the, your kingdom, your little kingdom, I got it, I'll take care of it. So what does it mean? So you have to start studying, what does it mean to be righteous? How do you seek righteousness? How would you have heard righteousness? We know a kingdom, there's a king, there's a reign, there's a rule, but righteousness? Where does that even begins to make root in the Jewish mindset? 
And you go back to Micah and you trace this back to how in Hebrew, this word righteousness, how would you have heard it? In a nutshell, spare the time of all word studies and going back and tracing all the way back to the scripture. The word righteous is always connected to God in the Old Testament with God's saving, redemptive, righteous acts. So if you're standing there that day and you heard the word righteous, you remember God is, his righteous acts saved us from the bondage of Egypt. His righteous saving acts saved us when we crossed the Red Sea. His righteous saving act saved us. So you would have heard in your mind what would have clicked with you is God redemptive plan to save from something. So when Jesus stands up and says, listen, if you want your kingdom to be taken care of, seek mine first. What does it mean to seek kingdom and righteousness? Here's what he's saying. That you would seek me to reign, rule in your life. That my will be done in your life. Not your plans, not your ways. He gives us free choice. We do choose. But if you'll submit to me, to my kingdom, my righteous, I mean, my reign, my rule in your life, and you will partner with me. Think about this word righteous if you're first century. That you will be part of this saving, redemptive plan. You will get on mission with me. You will go with me to spread the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and plant the seeds in your spouse's heart, your kid's heart, your roommate, your enemy, your boss. If you'll seek the reign and rule my life, you'll let me rule it. And righteousness, the righteous act, the redemptive, the saving righteous act of me, of my ways. If you'll do that, I'll take care of your kingdom. Everything you worried about, what are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? How are you going to find it? All that stuff you worry about, Matthew 6. I got you. You know why we don't do that? Because we want the kingdom, but we don't want a king. And we wonder why our kingdoms clash. And we wonder why there's division in your heart and in your life. Because if it's in you, it's in here. If it's in here, it's out there. That's why last week I talked about, could you imagine if we were all one? Could you imagine if we all said, God, talk to the Christians, I want you to reign my life. I want you to rule in my life. I'm going to move myself off the throne. I'm going to put you as Lord and King of my life. Now help me be on a saving, redemptive watch and plan to plant the kingdom of heaven and God everywhere I go. And Jesus says, you get on that boy, I'm going to take care of you. But we don't want to do that because we want the perks. We just don't want the king. You see, the one who enters or joins the kingdom of heaven becomes one and a partner with God to spread this redemption throughout all a hurting world. You see, a person who's entered the kingdom of heaven gets involved in other people's lives. If it's been planted in you, and Jesus says it's in you, it's because he wants you to get around other people's lives. He wants you to be that yeast that steps over and begins to expand your influence, and you see it all around you. In fact, you could go and say, he or she who pursues a, 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 a character, a lifestyle that mends 
the world together instead of dividing the world apart, which means this, where there's hatred, you show love. Where there's injury, you show pardon. Where there's doubt, you show faith. Where, where there's despair, you show hope. Where there's darkness, you show light. Where there's sadness, you bring joy. That's bringing the kingdom of heaven near to the broken, to the hurt, to the ones who the widows and the orphans that Jesus says, you get to take that. That will only happen when you swallow your pride and let King Jesus be king. Because if he is king and you're going to do his will, you will be part of his redemption plan to the people around you and to a hurt, broken, lost, and dying world. Listen to me. For the Christian, this life that you're in right now that you're living, this world is as close to hell as you'll ever be. This world. For those of you who don't follow Jesus, this world is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. You think about that, this world. And now we are stuck in between because, listen to me, your job will end. Your life will end. Your sickness will end. Your bills will end. Your stack of laundry and dishes will end. And everything you're worried about will be gone forever. Your life, your family, your community, our nation will go. Our nation will end. Everything will end and the kingdom will come down and will replace every single culture on the face of the planet. That will happen. That is the end time. That is the end. But until then, you're living in between. You're living in the already but not yet. You may be a residence here, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And he has, a, and king, that kingdom has a king and his name is Jesus. So you have two choices. Here's your choice. You can continue to be the king of your life and you can live what the culture says. And you can try your best to live culture up, but it will not work. I'm going to tell you, it will not work. You could try to be like the world and look like the world and be worldly and you be your own boss because the culture said it's all about you. You got to do it when you want to do it. It's all about you. Jesus knows all about others, but you think it's all about you. So you can continue to try to live culture up to heaven, but you will fail. Or you could choose to live as a citizen of the kingdom and live kingdom down. God, that your will be done in my life, that your kingdom come, your reign, your rule in my life so that your will be done. See, the first one wants a kingdom but has no king. The second one has a kingdom but is ruled by a king and his name is Jesus. And he wants to be the king of your life. He wants to lead in you and guide you and direct you. And he invites you to be part of his redemption plan. And if you want your kingdoms to start, stop clashing, then you submit to commit your life to obey God. And when you commit and obey God, the will of God will be done in your life. And when the will of God is done in your life, then the peace of God will flood your soul. That's 
the present kingdom of God. Just for a moment, if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Maybe you, you can't, you're driving, you're on a treadmill, you're working out. That's fine. Just, just focus just for a moment. In a lot of what you've heard, what has the Lord spoken to your life? At times, do you find yourself trying to be the king? The leader, the boss, the master of your life? What are you going to do about that? You always going to have the tension to fight the clash of the kingdoms. Maybe for you, you're listening or watching this, and for the very first time, you realize that you've tried to reign and rule your life, and it's not gotten you anywhere. I know for a fact that was me. For the first 20 years of my life, I tried my best to be my own boss, my own leader, to get to where I want to be, do what I want to do, and it, I failed miserably every single time. So I finally submitted to a king, to a lord who loves me unconditionally. And maybe today he's pricked your heart. He's begun to plant the kingdom of heaven in you and you realize that you are lost without him, that you have tried to rule and reign your life and now you need him because he loves you. And if that's you, right where you're set, maybe you're on a treadmill, maybe I don't know where you're doing, maybe you're watching this, rebroadcast, doesn't matter. Then maybe right now you cry out to him and say, King Jesus, I need you to forgive me of all my sin. Now your kingdom come in my life, your reign, your rule, your headship, your lordship, your kingship come in my life. And may your will be done. What you've planned for me, may that be the path of my life. I want your will. And if that's you, in just in a moment, our hosts are going to come back up. They're going to tell you your next steps, what you can do. But before you tune out, I have one question. Everybody look back up here. I have one question for you. And I want you to take just maybe 60 seconds, just a moment. Maybe you're by yourself. Reflect on this question. Ask yourself this. What's one thing you can do? What's one thing you can do to bring the kingdom of God to the people around you? What's one thing you can do to bring the kingdom of God to people around you. So we're going to take just a moment and just reflect on that question. Tony, what an incredible message today from Pastor Daniel. Oh, very convicting. Oh, oh my goodness. I mean, it's just so powerful. So many, so many points there that just really, really stuck out to me. Uh, Connie, what's something that stood out to you this morning? 
Am I really, you know, like when Pastor Daniel said, am I really letting God be the ruler of my heart or am I trying to rule my heart? And that's where it's bringing the division. When he talked about the division in the beginning of the sermon, I was thinking within the church and outside the church, you know, and I did not put it to, um, no, he's talking about within my heart and, you know, uh, and so that's kind of more personal, more convicting. So really looking into that and if I'm allowing God to really rule my whole life. Yeah. I... I don't know, my mind's just going. I mean, it's just really challenging. There's this, there's a statement that, that Pastor Daniel made though. Why do why do I worry? Why do mm, we that's worry? That's to me too. And we worry because we, we are concerned about our own kingdoms that we have throughout, you know, that we, we've established in our own life. And it's just really, really challenging. I can reflect on all the things that even over the past five months that I have worried about. Those are just my own silos that I've built up and and really probably put in, in front of God's kingdom. And I think ooh, yeah, it's just yeah. it's extremely challenging, extremely tough. But I think the reflection question really just hit home because it wasn't what are 50 things that you can do? What are 100 just, things just that one. you can do? What is one thing right, that you can it's do? Just one. It's the small wins in, in our Christian faith that continues to, to have our roots go down deep and be grounded strongly in God's word and his truth. Um, but Connie, let me Each ask day, you. right? Next step, one step at a time. That's right. So what do you think? What, what is, what's your one step? Um, you know, as, as PD asked the reflection question, what do you think is one thing that, that you could do this week? Mm. You know, I think that it is allowing um, God to speak his vision to me and not mm. trying to speak my vision to him. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. I was thinking, you know, we, we have so many team members, we have so many people that we know of that have attended this past, you know, or our church over the, the past year, your years. It's like, Maybe I could just make one phone call mm. this week and let's just check in on somebody. Let's just check in and say, hey, how are just you doing? Just one thing, right? Just, just one thing. One thing. Everybody one can thing. do one thing. That's a small win yes. that can just uh, continue to just give us faith that God's still moving, that God's still alive and allow us to be that little piece of yeast. Mm. I mean, yeast is so small, isn't it, Connie? But man, it can have extreme. But it makes the bread rise and taste good and be <laughs> yes, fluffy, you know? Yes, yeah, for on. sure. Uh, so just extremely powerful. But we just want to encourage you. What's that one thing? Once again, and if today that one thing was you gave your life to the Lord and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to know, we want to celebrate that with you. We just want you to text SAVED to the number on the screen and we are just going to be connecting with you and encouraging you and helping you on this journey of following Jesus. We'll even give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, yes. please let yes. us know. We would love to send you a Bible just to... Um, like foster that relationship with Jesus, help you grow closer to Jesus. Like it's a, it's a process. It's not an overnight thing where you take that step and then right. all of a sudden you're perfect. Right, right. I wish it was like that, but it's not like no, that whatsoever. No, absolutely, absolutely. Also, maybe your next step is baptism. And we talked about this before earlier in the service, but we're doing the lake baptisms next week. It's next Sunday at Grayson and Moorhead, Cavern Lake and Grayson Lake. And yes. so we really, really, if you are wanting to do this, we want you to be a part of this. And so please text baptisms to the BLC hotline. We will get you signed up. We'll tell you everything that you need to know and we'll just celebrate with you. Yeah, like that's absolutely. a fun step. That's a fun step. We've never done it in the lake yeah. before. So this is a brand new step for our church. Absolutely. And if you would like to just support the church financially, you can give in, in a multitude of ways. You can give online, you can give through our app or you can still even mail anything in. But we just, uh, God is using, I believe, Better Life Church to help reach this region and to yes. help yeah. in many different ways. We still have our care page that is up. You can check that out mm -hmm. if you want to find more ways that you can help um, this ministry and, and be engaged with it. 
Aaron, this has been a wonderful oh, Sunday, just so like it fun. always so is. Much fun. Church, we love you, and we are here to um, connect with you. And we're here to just to, to be the church, and we want you yes. to go out there and, and be resourced to, to be the church to our community. And, and, and you know, make that difference in our in our local community. And we cannot wait Absolutely. to see you back here next week. Absolutely.